We've talked about the importance of promoting useful disagreement, why useful disagreement is good for an organization's customers, for its shareholders, and why it's critical to retaining talent. Let's have that same conversation about something we call self-management. At Latrum, self-management means pretty much what you might guess, that everyone working at the company, at any level on the org chart, doesn't need a lot of management. A lot of management in the sense of checking. From the leadership perspective, you might think of self-management as a high degree of trust. From the perspective of the employee, you might think of self-management as having a high degree of credibility, of being trustworthy. If I'm self-managed, it means at a basic level that I don't need a lot of checking. At the very basic level, it means no errors of intent, no dishonesty, that I treat company property as I treat my own, that I tell the truth. At one level higher, it means that I keep commitments, that I ground all my decisions in the company interest, at least as I understand it. I may sometimes be wrong, but I'm never wrong-headed. Who wins from self-management? Well, the shareholders certainly win because with self-management, you don't need layers and layers of managers constantly doing the low-value work of checking things. You can get a flatter structure and much higher management leverage. The managers win because they can scale and do more interesting work than a lot of spot-checking and micromanaging, which is far less rewarding for a manager unless you're, well, a really bad manager. How do employees win? Well, I do a lot of interviewing. We always ask, what kind of environment do you prefer? What kind of boss are you most effective working with? A common response is, I don't like to be micromanaged. Or, I do my best and I'm happiest if we can agree on objectives and then I have freedom to execute the work. No one that I can remember says anything like, I like a boss who's checking on me all the time and whose dealings with me signal that he doesn't trust me. In fact, you can be pretty sure that the surest way to chase off talent is to micromanage a really high performer. Remember our theme of creating a triple win workplace. This is another example of the triple win. As an employee, I want freedom and self-management. You as a leader want me to be self-managed, and the shareholders want me to be self-managed. Now, some people, when they first get exposed to this concept, confuse self-management with chaos, as if people just do whatever they want all the time with no accountability. Actually, it's the opposite. It means a high degree of accountability. As a functional group, we make plans. I'm trusting you in this planning session to contribute to the making of the plan if you have information or thoughts. And once we've made the plan, I'm counting on you to do your part without meaning to check on you a lot. If you get stuck or if you have to change your part of the plan, you say so. You don't surprise us. Let's go a little deeper into the assumptions that are underlying self-management. Self-management can only happen if we can take certain behaviors for granted. A leader is actually negligent if he trusts people who aren't trustworthy. So what exactly is the leader trusting people to do in a self-managed environment? Let's imagine a meeting where A, B, C, and D are different people. And A says, so we all agree that the plan is whatever. D does not understand what A means. What should D do? Here are some choices. 
pretend to understand to save embarrassment, pretend to understand to avoid creating hassle, say he doesn't understand. And that's a simple one, right? So we obviously would want to make sure that D says he doesn't understand if he doesn't. Now let's imagine the same people at a different meeting, A, B, C, and D. And A says, so we all agree that the plan is whatever. D thinks that the plan makes no sense. D should say nothing if he knows A is a bad listener. Say nothing to prevent conflict and hassle. Say loudly that the plan makes no sense. Ask clarifying questions to confirm if he understands. And if the plan still makes no sense, D should challenge. In a self-managed environment, obviously we would want D to challenge. Take another example. A, B, C, and D are all in a meeting, and A says, so we all agree that the plan is whatever. D begins to execute the plan and discovers new information showing the plan is probably not feasible. D should keep silent to be a good soldier and avoid creating stress, keep silent to stay out of trouble, hope the plan goes wrong for some other reason, or promptly contact A to explain the new circumstances. Well, obviously, we would want D to go straight to A with the new information. Here's another one. So A, B, C, and D are in a meeting, and A says, so we all agree that the plan is whatever. D starts to execute the plan, and now here's a new character that comes on the scene. Let's call this new character E, who asks D to stop and do something else for E that will take several days. So D should do what E asks to avoid conflict and then try to catch up. Do what E asks to set a good example of work ethic and can-do spirit. Fly off the handle at E for even asking. Or tell E that he has to finish the original plan first unless there's a meeting of all the needed players to reset the priorities. Well, obviously, if you're the leader, if you're in A's position, you're counting on D to do the last one of these in every one of these little scenarios. But in a lot of organizations these behaviors are not automatic. There are lots of cases where D's action is not conformed to the right answer. And what's the harm when D can't be counted on to do the right thing every time? What's the cost of checking on D? Because that's what has to happen, right? If you can't make these assumptions about D saying he's confused when he's confused, if you can't make these assumptions about D agreeing with the plan, if you can't make assumptions that the plan continues to make sense and there's no bad information unless somebody's telling you. And if you can't make assumptions that D is on plan unless he's telling you he's deviated and started something else, then you're checking all the time. You're either negligent and letting things go wrong or you're checking all the time, which is very expensive. So why don't we see these correct behaviors 100% of the time? Well, this is back to us leaders maybe. How well do we respond when we're in the position of A and someone repeatedly asks for clarification? Do we get impatient or do we patiently re-explain? How often do we receive new information well that suggests the plan doesn't make any sense? Because if we don't do that well, if we create an atmosphere where it's embarrassing to ask for clarification, and if we're creating an atmosphere where it may be a little scary to contradict the leader, then we're going to chill that kind of self-management.
So we've covered the base elements. But self-management has many layers past the basic level. Here's an example. Every year, we have an intensive meeting between each employee and his manager to review performance over the last year and to discuss opportunities for personal growth. Some areas of personal growth can be very task-specific, such as, can I make a certain part with fewer errors? Other areas for personal growth are more about generic personal habits that affect our value. So for example, I might tell my manager that I still see opportunity to become a better listener. In the best performance reviews, the individual takes a high level of responsibility for identifying the opportunities for improvement. In my own review, I do most of the creative work and my manager is more of a thought partner and echo. That's much higher leverage than if I take a passive role and my manager is having to sort of nag me with ideas for how I might grow and I'm just acting as a kind of a defense attorney hoping I don't get any bad grades. Self-management from the basic levels to these more elevated levels over time is what establishes any individual's credibility. And credibility is foundational to career health. It's foundational to promotability. Who's going to elevate people who have not established high levels of trustworthiness?